Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Let's hear it for the boys. Let's hear it for the boys. Let's give the boys a hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all the lyrics I know. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. Oh, my God. If I would have known that's how we would have started, I never would have picked this name. I'm Pete. <laughs> and this is the first episode of our The Boys Recap podcast. Now, uh, if you've never heard us before, we do a bunch of different TV podcasts. We do a Riverdale podcast, Riverdale After Dark, a Watchmen podcast called Watchmen Watch, bunch of other things going on. But we, TV-wise, with this podcast at least, came a little late to the boys. Uh, so we're going to talk about that first, but we're also going to do chat about the first episode of the series as we get caught up on season one in time for season two, which as of yet is undated, but hopefully rumor has it is coming soon. It feels, it feels close. This is also to be an eighties music exploration (laughs) podcast. Apparently, Uh, We also didn't come late to the comic. We were very aware of that when it came out. Sure. I mean, the other thing that we should probably mention, our main podcast is called comic book club live. We've done a live show in New York every week for almost 15 years now, 14 years. I don't remember. It's a fog and that's fine. Yes. Uh, but it's been a while. Uh, currently, of course, like everything else, we're doing it online, uh, but <clears throat> we're still doing this weekly show talking about comic books. And we reviewed and chatted about the boys, the comic book uh, for a very long time by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. Um, great book. Very fun. I should also mention we did another Garth Ennis podcast, Preacher Men, based on the Preacher uh, TV show that was on AMC. Amazing. So, and also, that TV fans. show produced by um, some similar people. Um, yes. Seth, uh, Rogan and Evan Goldberg. Yeah, there you go. Uh, So there's a lot of connections there. This is all to establish our cred before we chat about it. Uh, But beyond the comic book, I think we should probably mention also that uh, we hosted one of the premier screenings of The Boys here in New York City, which was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was, before we get into any specifics, what was your general impression of the show and comic book, Pete? Well, I think uh, I was... First off, when I read the comic, I w- I literally said out out loud like, "Well, they can't turn that into a movie or TV show." <laughs> and uh, I, if I, I remember wrong. correctly, you specifically were like, "No way, that'll be a Prime Video original." Yeah, <laughs> which is very specific. Yeah, yeah, and that, you were like, "What's that?" No way like, that book that bookseller it. service Amazon will ever stick their neck out and make this a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but I was very impressed with the show. We saw the first episode at a live screening, and on the big screen, I'm I'm so happy we were there because that scene where the main character's uh, girlfriend eats it was um, 
really unbelievable and uh, handled in such a crazy way. They do a great job with all the action and violence in the show, and I was really impressed. I didn't think they would be able to live up to the hype of the comic, the gruesomeness, and do it in a way where I didn't feel cheated uh, because I love the comic so much. And I was, yeah, I was really impressed with not only the casting and everything like that, but also the way they did the action and the way they did the grossness. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the boys is a comic that um, when it was coming out, it felt very, very edgy and very like sort of um, reacting to so much of the what happens in comic books. And I think what's so great about the the TV series is it takes those themes and just elevates them to reacting um, about the pop culture, superhero movies and TV shows and just media culture in general which really feels fresh. Like they took that edge they had in the comic and just moved it to the other parts of the culture. And it really, really works. And man, just like the comic, this show goes for it any chance they can. Well, I think to bounce off of what you're saying, Justin, first of all, I think a lot of that comes down to Eric Kripke, who's the showrunner for the show. Uh, he is a vet of TV. He were created Supernatural, uh, also created or co-created Timeless as well, which yeah. are both great shows. He knows what he's doing. And I, I got to tell you, like before we saw this, even though I love the comic, I was concerned about the show coming out because I feel like in the wrong hands, it could be this very violent edgelord style thing. But instead, there's such, like you're saying, such a depth that's brought to the characters, so much humor and the media savvy. We talked about this a lot while the show was coming out, even though we were doing a podcast, but so many shows get it wrong. Like they don't know how to do a fake commercial. They don't know how to do those packages uh, that you show off at uh, to advertisers and make them look right, and this nails that culture across the board. Yeah, the dedication to sort of the the big media. I mean, it's it's not in this first episode, but later in this in the first season, they get into these like the ESPN packages. I think are in like maybe the third episode. It's just so meticulously done, and that's what like what you're saying, Alex, in the the upfront section of this first episode where um, Madeline Stillwell is just presenting the seven, like it's all just so well detailed throughout. And that makes it extra feel extra real so that the super violent, uh, unbelievable stuff, it fits sort of, you know, it, it heightens out of the, the real grounded world. Yeah. It took me a little bit to catch on what you guys were talking about since you guys are both like kind of television insiders. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're wow. talking first about, of all, first of all, thank you. Thank you, Pete. Okay. And Was there a from second inside, uh, from my pedestal, I look down on you, uh, <laughs> a small Nielsen man out in the world, just eyes glued to the old idiot box. Uh, and I say, yeah, so, thank you. So when, uh, yeah, all your bullshit aside, uh, when when you're saying packages, you're talking about the way they present this kind of like reality TV show, hero show to uh, uh, other uh, competitors or other like advertisers, uh, the way like they the, sell the opening the show. credits, like the the presentation um, that uh, Madeline Stillwell Elizabeth Shue is giving um, at the beginning of this first episode, and then later the like the opening credits to the sports show um, in the, I think yeah. the third episode, where uh, like all that stuff. A, a different show would have just not done that or done like a shitty small version of that. They do this like hyper extended versions of all of these things. 
Well, I, I think we're going to go a little ahead. If people have never seen the show before, uh, what we'll do here is we'll kind of lay out the concept, talk a little bit through the first episode, and then we'll chat about some more impressions and moments and things that we liked. Uh, once we actually get to the second season, whenever that does come out, we'll do a deeper dive into each of the episodes and break down the plot points. Uh, but as we're uh, getting caught up here, it, it'll be fun to have like more of a free form discussion, right? You guys? Yes. No oh, rules, boy. just right. Let's cut loose, baby. <laughs> Did you make that up? That's really good. Yeah. Yep. I, well, I'm an insider, so, you know, I think in television slogans. Uh, that is some bafo bio, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you think in variety headlines. Mm-hmm. And Pete, what, what do you think? What is happening? What are you thinking? Pete? Uh, I'm mostly thinking about cheesesteaks. <laughs> you think in sliced meats. All right. Well, fair enough. So this takes place in a world where where superheroes are real and superheroes are not only real, they are the biggest celebrities on the planet. They're no bigger celebrities than the seven, which it's not a one for one, but they're essentially a stand in for the Justice League. So there's a Superman character called the Homelander. There's a Wonder Woman style character called Queen Maeve. Uh, There's a Batman style character called Black Noir and a couple of other characters there. And we're following two lines. Don't forget about the the Aquaman character called. Yeah. The Deep, played by Chase Crawford from Gossip Girl. Of course, right, guys? There it is. Alex, that's why I I teed that up for you to just spank it home. XOXO. Uh, Anyway, so there's the Justice League characters. There are other superheroes that we meet over the course of the show uh, and going into season two. They'll expand the world even more. But the seven are, are core there. They're essentially... Evil Justice League is a little too strong, but Dick Justice League is probably the closest to it. Asshole Um, Justice League. Asshole Justice League. Uh, We encounter them a little later on, though, because we're following two paths through the world of superheroes. Uh, The first one that I'll touch on, just because it has to do with the seven, uh, is there's a girl named Annie. She is a superhero named Starlight. She has the power to become Pride of Bright. She can make electronics blow out. Uh, There are other things that we discover as we go on. Uh, But she has tried her entire life. She's essentially been like a child celebrity, child pageant type person. But for the superhero circuit, she's always dreamed of being in the seven. And ultimately she gets that goal. But by the end of the episode, she finds out it is not all it's cracked up to be as the deep sexually assaults her. uh, And she's told to just grow a pair and deal with it is essentially what happens with her arc over the course of the episode. Uh, It's pretty dark. It's pretty uh, gruesome. It's hard to watch. uh, But as I'm sure we'll talk about, they deal with it very effectively. I think in terms of the show on the other end of the spectrum, the majority of our uh, running time is taken up with a guy named Huey. When we first meet Huey, he's not necessarily scared of everything, but he's just very happy with his very middling place in life. He works at a, uh, I don't know, PC Ridges is probably too strong, like a Radio Shack, basically. It's like not even a, uh, I hate to say this, but it's not even as cool as a Radio Shack. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's but that's like one of the coolest a- places around. They got so many plugs. <laughs> Radio Shack was my Chuck E. Cheese growing up, you know? <laughs> wow. I just love that. Sounds a lot. Did you have a birthday wife. party there? Yes. And um, the animatronic um, the characters are less fun at, uh, <laughs> at your off brand, uh, at your Radio Shack. 
Yeah, so he works at the Soft Brand Radio Shack, but he's pretty happy about it. He's pretty happy about his girlfriend as well, at least until she steps into the street one day, unknowingly, and gets run through by one of the members of the Seven named A-Train, who's kind of their Flash-style character. She explodes. Huey is left holding her hands. He is traumatized. And over the course of the episode, first, the representatives for the seven try to pay him off. Uh, Then he is approached by a guy named Butcher, who Billy Butcher, who initially says he's a federal agent and wants to help him out infiltrating the seven. Turns out that's not quite exactly what's going on with him. Huey does go in, though places a bug there. One of the other members of the seven named Translucent, who can turn his body and visible, uh, comes, tracks him down to the off-brand Radio Shack, and we get an epic fight scene between Billy Butcher, who comes back, Huey, and Translucent, where at the end of the episode, they think they've killed Translucent, and now they're going to be totally fucked by the seven who are coming for them. And that's kind of the broad strokes of the episode. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in there, uh, but that's essentially what happens in the course of the first episode. I don't know if I said the title, uh, The Name of the Game. Yeah, you do. The Name of the game. Great. Uh, yeah, I also think that what's interesting about, like, not only are these characters kind of evil, but it's this interesting idea of, like, ultimate power and corruption, right? Like, if you were a superhero and could do anything, you know, like, would you kind of turn into this Homelander type thing of, like, well, I'm above the law. I can do whatever I want. These people don't really know everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's an interesting kind of thing of, like, if superheroes are real, would this be a little bit kind of like what they would kind of turn into? Or it's kind of like a mashup of celebrity and kind of reality TV, kind of like just showing us little bits and pieces to make somebody look a certain way, you know? Um And it's just kind of like a holy shit. You know, uh, when I'm reading comic books, I'm not thinking about the ramifications of like, well, you know, like Superman seems like a nice guy. And, you know, Mm. but like, would he, you know, obviously I don't think he would. He's kind of like the original Boy Scout. But it's like if a kind of a regular person kind of ascended and then kind of had all this supreme power, would they abuse it? Would they turn into somebody they hated or originally started out saying they wanted to fight against. So it's kind of an interesting point of view. I was very intrigued when I heard about the comic and and kind of like what they were going for, like this kind of uh, idea behind it. Well, I think one of the differences, and to be honest, I haven't revisited the comic in a while, but I think one of the big differences between the comic and the show is the comic, getting, I guess, mildly into spoilers here, but... They're the superheroes literally are evil, like they have no empathy, they're sociopaths across the board, and it's because of something that has been done to them to give them these powers. And there are exceptions, like for example, Starlight is a good person and she continues to be a good person, but for the most part, it does completely corrupt them through this process, and in as a result, it's not entirely their fault. Um, In the show, I think it delves much more into the celebrity aspects of it, of we're fucking famous, we're powerful, we look gorgeous, we can do anything we want with no repercussions, so why not? And I think we see that, that gets set up really well. I had completely forgotten about the opening scenes, since it's been a while since I saw this episode, Uh, but we get just this perfect setup where it's like, 
Queen Maeve, she looks like a superhero right off the bat, comes in, stops a van, and then Homelander comes in, throws a dude in the air, fries them, there's blood everywhere, takes a selfie, and it's just a perfect two to three minute encapsulation of everything that's going to go out of the show. Uh, it's like you're saying, Alex, this opening scene, really, you sort of lean into the world because it's only just slightly heightened uh, up above what you actually expect. Like the uh, the classic hero uh, robbing or hero stopping the bank robbers. Um, and that's what they do, except they just do it in a super horrifying way. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the starlight thing a little bit, because I saw Pete, you were shaking your head when we were talking about that storyline. How did it strike you? What did you take away from it? Well, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, just ha- seeing somebody who's like genuinely good and really wants to be a part of something that she believes in. And then like this realization that like a lot of things, when you finally get to the place that you thought you wanted to be or were like as a kid, like this would be the greatest and then see it. It's a little bit of a letdown, and then it's also horrible the the what the deep does to her, and, and such a gruesome kind of. And now she's left with this choice, and what a fucking crazy place for a meet cute with Huey, where she's kind of struggling with: Do I walk away from some something that I wanted my whole life? Because of this fucking asshole, you know, well, or- let's talk about that scene for a second, just to give the context for anybody who has, for whatever reason, not seen the episode. But this is straight out of the comics. Uh, you see Huey is on a park bench. He's eating a sandwich. He's thinking about everything that went down with Butcher uh, and what he should do there. Uh, and then he turns around. We see Annie there. He doesn't know she's Starlight. She doesn't yeah. know who he is or anything like that. They don't know each other. And they're just she talking. She doesn't know he works in an electronics store. Like they both have secrets. Right. Yeah. Doesn't know. They don't know that each other are humans or anything like that. Like they just, they (laughs) might think they're two squirrels on a park bench. Exactly. It's usually where you find squirrels. I'm always talking to squirrels (laughs) in the park. Yeah. That's where Uh, I met my, that's where I met my squirrel friend. uh, Oh, that's cute. How's that working out? Yeah. Uh, Good. Um, Good. I mean, I, I have, my ex squirrel friend keeps showing up and that must be making you nuts. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, Annie and Huey are on the park bench together. They talk around their various problems, but never explicitly state who they are. And then later on, when Huey does go to meet at the Sevens headquarters with A-Train to get an in-person apology, he's in the bathroom stall while Starlight, Annie of Starlight, comes in, and they just miss each other that way. It's so smart, the whole the way the whole thing's laid out and staged across the board. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's such a good, like, the, like rom- just a fun, romantic little section. Like, two people that just meet each other and, like, have a connection. Despite yeah. all the crazy circumstances that we're aware of, we get to still see them, like, be cute with each other. And to the point before, talking about Starlight, um, The Deep, and all that, like, the way they just so compactly tell the story of her being this sort of wide-eyed innocent and instantly that innocence is taken away by this horrifying dude um, and then she bounces back like uh, other shows could have taken a whole season to tell that story and I just uh, really great work to make it all happen here and then she moves on because they don't want to just tell that story we've we can predict where that's going and this show wants to take us in different directions 
The the two things that I think are very smart that they do in that scene, uh, one is they get away from the comic, which is much more explicit about it. And I don't want to sound like I'm lumping on the comic, but I think from the time that came out to the time the show came out, there is yeah. a big difference in how the world handles these sort of storylines, or at least... Which is great. Improvement yes, is necessary. Exactly. And I think it handles it more responsibly, mostly by leaving it up to your imagination. The other thing that they do that I think is very smart is they have this cut where it's Annie talking to the deep. They seem to be having a very like mentor-mentee relationship. She confesses that she always had a crush on him growing up. And he says, oh, that's kind of funny. And it cuts back to him, and it's that shot from the back where you see his tan line from his Speedo. He's already taken down his pants, and you just see his naked butt. And it gives you the horror of that situation, but it also injects humor in it, which takes... It immediately takes the power away from him in that situation from the viewer's perspective, which I think is such a a smart decision. Agree. I agree completely. He's such a posturing doofus. At At the same time, he's being this abuser. So it... Yeah, it... He's exercising power that we are instantly aware of that he doesn't really have mm-hmm. because he's such a goof. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the Starlight stuff. Let's jump over to Huey. What were some other big moments of the episode for you with Huey or, or just across the board? Well, I mean, seeing Simon Pegg play his dad was awesome. As a nerd, I was like, yeah, Simon Pegg's in this. This is exciting. Well, the reason we should explain is because Simon Pegg was essentially the model for Huey in the comic yeah. book. That's who they draw. They never were like, yes, it's Simon Pegg, but it's Simon Pegg. I think yeah. later on yeah. they were like, yeah, of course it is. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, that was great. So he plays Huey's dad. Uh, he is more in line with how Huey is in the comic book, which is kind of funny and interesting to me. Like he is scared and nervous to actually do anything, which at least when we first meet Huey in the comic book, he's like that. And he eventually grows to another place. Uh, Casting Jack Quaid as Huey, who is a handsome, goofy, romantic lead type really changes the character a lot. And I think they adjust for that accordingly. Yeah. I I really like him in this. I think he is, um, he has that sort of, uh, it's almost Scott Pilgrim esque. Um, like he's a little goofy. He's a little like, um, he's trying hard in most things. Um, he's like scared, but at least he's very upfront with his feelings of like, ha ha, this is terrifying. Like I, I really like him. Uh, let me run through. I'll talk about a couple of moments that jumped out to me. Uh, we touched on this before, but, uh, Robin Huey's girlfriend getting exploded. I think beyond the opening scene, that was the first time where I was like, Oh, they're, they're going big with the show just in terms of grossness yeah. and explicitness of the violence. They're not holding back from it. Um, uh, and also the effects, the effects are shockingly good. Shocking. That's funny because what happens later? Uh, yeah. yeah, I see what uh, you're yeah. talking about. They, uh, yeah, this show feels like it feels like a feature film. Like we, you got the Jimmy Fallon um, pops up in this episode um, with Translucent. Um, you see all the music um, in the show is like yeah. real legit expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it looks amazing. Like this, this is is everything is done really well. 
Yeah, and that's the thing, because sometimes when you have a superhero show, that's when you really have got to be like, all right, what do they have the budget for to make this look real so it doesn't pull the audience out of it, you know? And that they did really well. Uh, All the flying, all the craziness that goes on looks really legit. Yeah. We should also probably mention, we touched on her a little bit earlier, but Another character that's super important for the show who gets introduced here and has a through line as well is Stillwell, played by Elizabeth Shue. Uh, she is the head of or one of the heads of the Voight Corporation. Uh, she or at least is the public face of it. The public relations. Is that what she's in or? Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know, I don't know her like actual head title. Of PR or something. Yeah, what's her title? What's her exact title? <laughs> and how much does she get paid and what are her benefits? <laughs> yeah. Her uh, 401k so, is, is an amazing <laughs> part of the show. Uh, so the thing that we get with Steelwell is she is this liaison for the Void Corporation that we find about very quickly. Uh, she is talking to a mayor of, it's not Atlanta, is it Baltimore? The mayor of Baltimore, uh, I think. Baltimore, yes. Yeah. yeah. Who wants his own superhero. She says, we'll give you Nubian prints for $300 million. And he says, uh, $200 million. And she says, really, we can't budge. And he says, I know about Compound V. You're going to do whatever I want or I'm going to tell. Uh, they eventually come to terms on it. And then the way that we end the episode is he is on an airplane with his son. Homelander flies by. They see him, and Homelander uses his heat ray vision and blows up the plane. And it's horrifying. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. horrifying. Especially since throughout the episode, he's been sort of left out of the, like, he feels like he still could be this, like, Superman character. And then at the end, he's, like, the most diabolical of everyone. And that's a thing of, like, one of the things that, to me, reading the comic was like, holy crap, like Superman is this real Boy Scout character and seeing somebody so evil makes it that much crazier. Like if Superman didn't exist and here was this kind of like creepy villain type thing, I don't know if it would affect me as as much as it does but to see somebody in the show flying like superman using the you know heat ray vision or laser eyes or whatever it is uh to take down a plane and kill people was just brutal it, it's also we've we've read a lot of comics you guys yeah. uh mm-hmm. there are a lot of evil supermans Throughout, you know, just analogs for Superman that go bad throughout comic books. And Homelander certainly wasn't the first. But again, well, the thing that I think the show does particularly well is not this episode, but you start to get into his head a little bit. Or you yeah. start to understand what's wrong with him and why that's wrong with him. Uh, and it doesn't make you sympathize with him at all, but it's a take that feels fresh and dangerous and new in a different way than just what if Superman, but bad. Yeah. Yeah. He sort of has, I don't know if it's the act. It's like a combination of the actor who I think is so good and the, um, the way they present him and the way they sort of withhold exactly what his intentions are. Most of the time, the, the mix of him being like really evil, but also really child like, uh, like he just ha- is this great combination that adds up to a really menacing character. Yeah. I also really love the casting of butcher 
uh, the, you know, machine gun Thor, as I like to call him. Uh, he <laughs> That's is, actually his legal name. Yeah, oh, he changed okay. it. Yeah. It's smart. It's smart. Um, I just, such a badass. Like, you have somebody else trying to do that and doesn't, like, pull it off. Like, the swagger and the way that he can, like, command things and, like, that walkthrough of the party. Like, it's just uh, it's such an interesting kind of, like, cool character and uh it's just really one of those people who could walk into a room convince you to quit your shitty job that you like and let's go try to take down the seven you know what i mean carl urban is not who i would have picked for billy butcher but i completely agree with you he's just absolutely perfect for the role yeah he really slips into it yeah Yeah. sorry machine gun thor is that what his legal name is okay sorry i called him by the wrong name (laughs) uh the the party scene i i kind of forgot about that for a second that's one of the things that, again, not one-to-one from the comic book, but it's certainly something that pops up in the comic book. The comic uh, is, book's a lot grosser. than It's a lot show. grosser. The, yeah. the superheroes beyond everything else are also, like, sexually into whatever all the time. So they walk through this club, and you see uh, an Adam-style hero just super tiny run and jump into a woman's vagina. You see uh, people having zero-G sex. You see a stretchy dude stretch across and make out with two people at the same time. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, yeah. But, I, again, like I think it pushes things in the right way. Uh, you would. I, you know, I think it was a little much, but, yeah. I you you love this enough. comic. The comic does so much more uh, on this front than this TV yeah. show does. There's when we were talking about names for this podcast, and we eventually settled on uh, "Let's Hear It for the Boys." One of the things I was like, "Hey, what about a uh, hero gasm?" Because that's an event that they attend later on in the comic books. Pete was yeah. like, "No fucking way, that's gross." I was like, Pete, that's from the comic book. It's literally yeah, from I'm the comic book. I'm aware that but you I love the comic you love. I don't want to be known as one of the hero gasm guys. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be associated. You know. Yeah, the but I, I'm like, I had such a clear picture of the logo in my head. Like, it was Stop like, bringing that up. Hero gasm, uh, a boys podcast, and then there'd be like a sploosh just behind it, like a little splash. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And when I, when I heard, first heard the name, don't Hero ever Gasm, say the word sploosh again. It sounded sploosh? so creepy coming out of your mouth, like Sp- you should be driving a fucking van that says "free candy" in the back. I do drive a van that says "free candy" in the back. It's my sploosh-mobile. Oh, stop that! You were <laughs> wow. a father, and you shouldn't be making those jokes. Oh, I'm sorry that I give out free candy to the neighborhood in these trying times we're having, Pete. Oh my god! Uh, sorry to interrupt, guys. I just had a hero gasm while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one other thing, not one other thing, but another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit: uh, translucent uh, the. Way that his storyline, I mean, it's kind of like a mini plot line that runs throughout, is rolled out, is so smart and economical in the writing. Uh, You mentioned the Jimmy Fallon interview that he's on, and he basically, like, he mentions that electricity is his weakness. He mentions that he uh, can only turn his skin invisible, so he'd actually have to be nude most of the time to be fully invisible. And they just kind of roll that out of the background, but it's such a... Normally, like on a TV show, they'll turn on the TV and be like, and in other news, Translucent got almost electrocuted, which is his weakness. And now the weather. (laughs) But it's kind of like in the background and it's executed in the right way. And then later on, you get these two bits 
One, where they end up beating him with electricity while he's uh, trying to kill Billy Butcher. Uh, But before that, there's just such a smart bit where Queen Maeve and Starlight are in the bathroom after she's been assaulted. Queen Maeve is like, suck it up. Never let them see you cry. Some variation of that. And then Starlight leaves and Queen Maeve's like, you fucking pervert. And he just appears completely nude. And he's like, oops. And that's yeah. it. And it's, it's so smartly done across the board. Yeah, it's great. It's very, it's funny and also like uh, creepy and uh, not Gross what you want to see. Awful. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. Yeah. Any other bits from the show you want to talk about before we start to wrap up here? Hmm. That's a good question. Great. Uh, Thanks, Pete. Bits, great. First bits, off, great bits. question. <laughs> yeah. First off, great question. Yeah. <laughs> great question. Um, uh, oh, that's yeah. We brought up Elizabeth Shue a little bit. Uh, what's what I, you want to kind of talk about the way they slowly reveal things like the way she kind of handles the fear around the seven is just so amazing and it becomes like such a thing later. But like it was just so interesting to me. Like it was something I saw in like the first couple episodes, like the way Elizabeth Shue was playing this. I was just like, what is there? What is it about her relationship? And like the way Homelander like stands in like one spot. Like I was like, what? And just the way they reveal that later on is just so great. So I just think it like they do such a great job as you were saying, uh, Alex, like giving us a little bit, uh, keeping the reveal later, slowly rolling things out. Like, it really kind of gives us this impression of like, they're not just releasing these episodes as fast as they can. They're really thinking about this, thinking about how the, all the information is done and like really telling a story with all these episodes and like doing it well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like they, the, the performances are so good and then not just are they like, look at this, it's the bad uh, Avengers or the bad justice league. They do a, such a great job of making them specifically bad, like we talked about. But even, like, Billy and Huey, like, Billy's this, like, sort of posturing um, FBI. He says he's an FBI agent. But he also fucks up constantly. I like that he is sort of rough and tumble. He makes these mistakes all the time. Uh, Madeline Stilwell, she is, like, pretty evil the whole time. But there's something about the way that Elizabeth Shue plays it where she looks like she is terrified all the time. She looks like she is in this. She knows these heroes could kill her at any, these quote unquote heroes could kill her at any moment and might, but she's still in there doing this, uh, evil job. It's just a great mix of different, uh, of contra contradictory things. Also like, uh, I thought for sure the episode was going to end after the ass electrician, uh, execution. Uh, and it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a perfect ending. Like, what a crazy thing to have happen. And then to take that insanity and then ramp it up with the kind of evil Superman move was... I. This show does a, such a great job of being like, oh, you think you've got a grip on this? Uh, yeah, you, you guess again. Oh, you think you know what's happening? No. 
Well, and the thing that swerves that really nicely, there's a scene that happens earlier on in the episode. You know, we've gotten Homelander established at the beginning. We know he doesn't hold back in terms of killing criminals or anything like that. Um, And we've seen him in the promotional video as well. Uh, But when he finally shows up at the group meeting for the seven, they're all sitting around. They're talking about deal points, which, again, emphasize the whole celebrity nature of it. And he says, whoa, 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 this is Starlight's first meeting. Let's talk about who we saved today, huh? Let's go around and do that. And so you get this sense that, oh, okay, maybe he is a good guy. Maybe he's not like the rest of them. And then they completely pull the rug out at the end of the episode. Yeah. 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 Got us. Got us. You got us, the boys. You got us with the first episode. You got us with the rest of the run of the season. Before we wrap up here, as we always do on the show, let's talk about our sploosh of the episode. Pete, what was your sploosh of the episode? What made you sploosh the hardest? No. What? No. No. Here on Hero Gasm is, I think, the name of our podcast. I've forgotten. Um, what do we want? Do we want to pick our uh, number one, number one boy, our best boy, <laughs> <laughs> our key grip? <laughs> Who's the key grip of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> I can look it up real quick. Yeah, we can get the actual name. I think. Yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the best boy of the episode, Pete. You do that. Okay, uh, I'm gonna have to give it to. Yeah, I'm gonna have to really give it to. Billy Butcher. I I just think that like um, seeing kind of like in this first episode, like his world and how he kind of handles things uh, really intense. And just like also the way he shows up right when we needed him for uh, Huey, you know, when he thought like, oh, my God, Huey's going to have to deal with this alone. But he comes back uh, to help him, even though he's kind of scamming him a little bit and needs him to kind of enact his mission. Uh, That's who I'm going to give it to, my favorite of the episode. Nice. Justin? Um, Tough call. We like, I liked so many of these performances. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it up to. Uh, I'm going to give it up to Homelander. I feel like um, just the turnabout at the end, to be able to play both the the Superman and also the, the supervillain um, at the same time and toggle between the two as we anticipate him doing, like I think is, is just really great and makes for a show where you never quite know what's going to happen. The celebrity aspects of it, and I think they do such a good job with it. Um, that uh, I gotta give it up for her. Uh, and I gotta tell you, they don't make it easy to find out who the key grit is on something over on IMDb. Um, so I do apologize to whoever it is. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm just I'm not searching fast mm. enough. I'm really sorry, everybody. Oh, wow, it's a secret. Oh, the best boy, Craig Steele. Craig Steele is the best boy grip, key wow. grip. Don't thank, don't apologize. Yeah, could you just Sorry ask Craig Surrey Steele. and she would tell you? Yes. Yes. Sorry to Craig Steele, who has a really cool name, so is probably doing fine. Yeah, apologize to Craig Steele, who is a hero yeah. in his yeah. own right. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, folks, before uh, we go, a couple of things to plug. We yeah. do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. <laughs> to two places online, yeah. Crowdcast and YouTube. So come hang out with us, chat about comics, chat about the boys. We have great guests on, and we'd love to see you there. Uh, also, this doesn't have all the feeds set up yet. We will have individual feeds set up everywhere soon. Obviously, this is the first episode. But in the meantime, we have plenty of other podcasts, including Comic Book Club Live, that you could check out at Comic Book Club Live. Live.com, socially at comic book live. Uh, and that's it. Next time we'll see you and we'll hear it for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>